0: is a great day. We're going to continue in a series that we started over the last several weeks. We've been talking on this series called Life Hacks, and the premise behind this, the whole you know idea behind uh, this series, is this notion that life is not as complicated as it seems to be. Now, I know some of us are thinking, "This guy is crazy." What life are you living, Pastor? Right? I get it. Life has challenges. Would we agree? Come on, we can agree, right? Yeah, life has challenges, right? Life gets complicated sometimes, but here's the reality that oftentimes when things get complicated, it's because we initiate it or because we allow it, right? Let's be honest, right? We initiate it or we allow it, but God has given us a life hack, a simple means, a tip, a technique by which we can accomplish tasks more easily, more efficiently, a manner in which we can see life simplified And obtain the shortest path to the longest of distances in life. Friends, this life hack is wisdom. It's the wisdom of God. It's God's wisdom. And today I want to speak to you from the heart of God. Look, my job here today is not to give you an opinion. My job is to facilitate a conversation between us and what God is speaking to us in his word. So I have nothing to say here. But we're going to look at the Word of God. And today I want to speak to you from the heart of God on the topic of a foolproof life. A foolproof life. How many of you know that we don't necessarily, how how many of you would agree we've done some foolish things, right? Come on now, now I see one or two people nudging somebody. Look at yourself first, right? Come on, let's be honest, right? We've all done something foolish. How, How many of you ever kept a foolish person around a little too long? Right? We, we've done that, right? Stop judging people. Some of you are <laughs> cutting eyes at somebody. Stop that, right? Have you ever done something that you still look back to, even to this very day, and you tell yourself, what was I thinking? Right? Like, like why did I do that? I wish I could change it. Friends, we all have one of these stories, at least one. And I dare say we have many of them. Yeah. But what if I told you that we can reverse-engineer these things. What if I told you that there is a way that you can look ahead and before you find yourself in the midst of a mistake... You can actually avoid the mistake altogether. You can find yourself in a place where when you look back, you don't look back with regret and laments, but you look back with joy and you are glad for where you find yourself. What if I told you that you could turn things around from this point forward? That's a great question. How do we do that? Let me tell you how. Here's the power of God's wisdom. Wisdom prepares us for the mistakes before they happen. We need the wisdom of God. Listen to what the scripture tells us in Proverbs 28, starting at verse 26. It says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Now let's pause there for a moment because this word here in the Hebrew, the word mind, actually refers to our will, our understanding. Our memory, in other words, what we take from past experiences, how many of you know we got a lot more mistakes in the past than we do uh, lessons that we can learn from, right? We can learn from them all, but we have a lot of mistakes back there. It also speaks of our determination or our willpower. So listen to this accurately. It says, whoever trusts in his own understanding, in their own memory of things, in their own willpower, in their own determination... The Bible says that that person is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Now, I love that word delivered there because in the Hebrew, it speaks of an escape, a way of escape. It also refers to uh, being preserved from, from harm. But here's the one that I really love. It talks about slipping out of the hands of danger. See, that's what wisdom does. Wisdom gives us a way out. Before we find our way into a mistake. Wisdom, the wisdom of God provides us details, provides us a pathway that helps us to avoid those mistakes. And friends, I would dare say this, that each and every one of us has been, maybe you are or you will find yourself in this place at some point where you are back at a place where you told yourself you would never be. You're reliving a cycle of mistakes again and again and again. I've got good news for you, friend. It's because you've lacked the wisdom of God. Come on, that's good news. Give God some praise. We're going to dig into the wisdom of God today. You see, the danger in trusting our will, our understanding, our memory, right, what we glean from past experiences, our self-determination, our willpower— When we trust only in those things and exclude the wisdom of God, we fail to realize a key point. No matter how much you think you got it together, the truth is that the mind, in all its totality as defined here, is flawed. Our experiences are flawed. Our understanding has blind spots. Right? Our memory of things, our willpower, all these things are flawed. I'll prove it to you. Have you ever told yourself, I got this. I am 100% sure this is going to work. You been there? And then it blew up in your face? And then you go, how did this happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It's what wasn't happening. The wisdom of God in your heart. In our understanding. And so the scripture gives us an example, a tragic example from the life of a man named Saul. And this guy Saul was the first king appointed in Israel. And this guy, Saul, was a man that everybody looked to with great admiration. They thought that they had arrived. But you see, his installation, his coronation as king began with foolishness. Because you see, the people of Israel started to look at what everybody else was doing around them. Translate that into, layman's, in layman's terms, today's, it's looking at everybody else's highlight reel not realizing that that's just a show that somebody's putting on. And so they were looking at the nations, and they were going, all these nations, they have kings, and we don't have a king. What they failed to realize was that they had it even better. They had God. They had wisdom. They had power. They had protection. They had a hand up on everyone. But they, in essence, declared, we don't want God. We want a king. And so God said, okay, I'll grant your choice. You might say, man, that's messed up. But let me tell you something about God. God does not impose himself on our choices. If God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen. No, if God loved you and he does love you, he would give you wisdom. The question is, are we listening? Are we tapping into that wisdom? And so God leaves them to their choice. And in comes Saul. And the scripture records that Saul was a man who towered over all the people. He was the tallest guy in all Israel. This guy was good looking. It was like, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, uh -uh, quack, quack. He is fine. Calm down, ladies. Stop. He's a good looking guy. Right? And not only that, but he appeared strong. He had an appearance that that denoted to people, man, this guy's a strong guy. He's a strong leader. But actually, a study of his life reveals that he was actually the opposite. See, Saul was small in his leadership. He was a poor image of good character. He was weak in his convictions to what was right and what was godly. And so shortly after he was coronated as king, uh, his son was out with a regiment of, of soldiers of Israel, and they get into a little skirmish. They attack a people called the Philistines. And the Bible records that the Philistines were like a a hornet's nest that got stirred up. They called, they rallied up and they said, hey, we're going to go destroy these people of Israel. So this massive army of Philistines shows up at a place called Michmash. And when they show up, uh, Saul realizes we got a problem. And so he musters up all the people of Israel and they're about to go to war. But you see, in these times, it was customary for the king of Israel, for the leadership of Israel, that they would always entreat the Lord. In other words, they would go and they would ask God, do you want us to engage in this battle? We would be wise to do that, you know, just think about that. Should I actually be doing this? What does your word tell me about this? So God, should we engage in this battle? Are there details that we're lacking, something that we're not seeing? Is there a strategy that you have in place that maybe we haven't considered? And so they were supposed to go before the Lord. And herein, Saul acts foolishly let's see what happens first samuel 13 starting at verse 8 says and he waited seven days the time appointed by samuel but samuel did not come to gilgal and the people were scattering from him so let me just give you some context of what's happening here he was wait he was supposed to wait for the prophet the man that god had appointed this guy named samuel to show up and because he's seeing the people kind of scurrying around they're getting a little impatient He decides, I've got to do this. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Let me translate that for you. Saul got out of pocket. He stepped into a role that he had no business undertaking. Saul started to do something that he was not anointed to do. And so as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. He's thinking, nothing's wrong. And Samuel says to him, what have you done? And Saul says to him, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines, watch this, will come down against me at Gilgal. He's worrying about two things. He's worrying about people and he's worrying about himself he says, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself. The Hebrew translate that this this way. I compelled myself. I decided for myself, if God's not going to show up and I'm not going to get direction from God, then I'm going to make it happen on my own. I'm going to bend God's arm, so to speak. Right? And so he offered the burnt offering. It goes on to say, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done what? Foolishly. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept What the Lord commanded you. You know, this is a sad moment in the history, in the life story of this man, Saul. Why? Because what we see is that Saul was supposed to reign, have a successful reign. He was supposed to be at the head of this kingdom. Despite his flaws, and he had many, God had set his mind that this is the guy who's going to lead my people. I'm going to anoint him. I'm going to help him. But Saul made a rash decision. You might say, well, what's the big deal? He prayed a prayer and he had some animals slaughtered and sacrificed. The big deal is not so much just what he did. It's what it revealed about him. And if you consider what the scripture tells us, it tells us that God said, now I'm stripping you of this kingdom. Your kingdom will not last. And I'm going to install a man whose heart is after mine. You know what the issue was? Saul had a heart after people and after his appearance above God. There was no wisdom in that. It was foolishness, right? And so Saul's example teaches us a few things. Just two things I want us to consider as we dig in a little bit deeper is the first thing that we see is that he who trusts in himself can trust that he will fail. Let me say that again. He who trusts in himself can trust that he will fail. You know why, friends? Because while God's wisdom is extended to us and available to us, we stop short of taking the hand of God. Listen, that's like drowning and somebody extending you a hand and you go, no, I'm good. You see the foolishness in that, right? Now, if you're Hispanic like I am, some of you suffer from this, uh, this, this, uh, this pride thing, right? Not just Hispanics, all of us really, where somebody extends to us a helping hand. Somebody extends to us a gift. Somebody extends a relationship to us to help us, to walk alongside us. And we go, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And the reality is we're not. There's no wisdom in that. And so you see, God was extending a hand to this man, Saul. But Saul trusted in himself. And thus, he failed. The second thing we see is that a fool always thinks himself to be wise. But only fools himself. A fool will always tell you, I got it. I'm good. It's under my control. Yeah, I'm walking with God, but I'm doing this. There's no wisdom in that. The sad thing is that a fool actually believes they got it. You know, I remember when I was a kid, Um, I, I kind of did, I pulled one of these. I'm, I'm going to be transparent with you, right? I was a, I was a, I was a kid. I, I, let me back up. I, when I was younger, I had a kind of like, one of my heroes was my uncle. And in my mind, my uncle was a giant, right? When I got to about the age of 13, I realized... He was short. He's like like 5'4". He wasn't a giant at all, right? That was supposed to be a lot funnier. That was funnier in my head. But anyway, we'll move on, right? But I thought he was a giant, man. I, I held him in such high esteem. And one of the reasons why I held him in such high esteem, foolishly, is because I thought he was super cool. He had a vomit green Chevy Nova. When I tell you vomit green, it's like uh, somebody corrected me. Whoever that Sesame Street character is, the... the Oscar the Grouch, yeah Oscar, yeah, that that green, right, it was vomit green, and the inside was vomit green, and he had the furry dice hanging from, you know, the, the some of you are like, who would do that, you're, you're a little bit too young, right, and he had the furry cover over the, you know, the, the steering wheel, right, so it was pimped out. It had that fat racing tires, the Goodrich tires. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And I would sit in the back, and my uncle would be driving. He'd roll up his T-shirt, right, have a crease there. And he'd throw on his Ray-Bans, and he'd be driving. I'm like, man, he's the coolest thing in the world. So fast forward. I'm like 12 years old, I think, when this happened. And uh, we were supposed to go to the beach. Now, we grew up in Washington Heights in upper Manhattan. And for whatever reason, my mom would make us go to Far Rockaway, which meant we would have to take the A train all the way to the last stop. It was like a two-hour ride. So we were supposed to go to the beach and at that time my sister, one of my sisters and my brother-in-law, her husband, were living with us. My nephew had just been born at the time. And so we were supposed to go to the beach. We were all going to get on the train. You know, we had a house full. It was a whole bunch of us. And my brother-in-law happens to come to my room door that morning early in the morning it's like six in the morning he knocks and he wakes me up and I go what's up he goes man I got a surprise for the whole family I'm like okay what's what is it what's cool what what, what are we doing he goes I got a car so what do you mean you got a car because we didn't have a car right he says no I borrowed my friend's car so that we can all go to the beach together this guy was an idiot right because he thought that he was going to fit eight people in this little Volvo right so anyway, that was the plan anyway. So he says, hey, you want to go for a ride? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, cool, 12 years old, let's go. So I get dressed real quick. We get in the car, and he's driving. And then we get to this area in Washington Heights that's called Overlook, right? It's, it's this hill that goes all the way up. It's pretty steep, but it's a two-way street that's actually very narrow. So there were cars parked on both sides and two-way street, so it's really narrow. So he's driving, and he does one of the most foolish things you could ever do. He says, hey, you want to drive? He says, do you know how to drive? What do you think this 12-year-old from Washington, I said? I said, of course I know how to drive. I didn't know how to drive at all. But you see, I was convinced that I knew because while I would sit in the back of my uncle's car, I always mimicked him while he was driving. So I thought I had it together. Well, we switched seats. Get in the car, the street is empty, and all of a sudden I drive maybe two, 300 feet and there's a car coming. So I kind of put both my hands on the steering wheel, right? Couldn't be cool anymore. I thought I was adulting at the time, right? And I put both my hands on, and I'm kind of like, all oh, right, I'm going to have to squeeze through this. And he says, stop the car, stop the car. He starts yelling at me, you know, like really getting on my case. And so I slam the brake, I throw it in gear, or so I thought, right? And then I start arguing with him. Now I go from adulting, to a 12-year-old fit because I start screaming at him because he's screaming at me and we're going back and forth and then I have a 12-year-old fit and stop my foot, not realizing that I never put it in park, I put it in reverse. The car shoots out and backs into a tree. The trunk was destroyed. The fender in the back, it dug into the wheel. It was a bad situation. It was his problem. That wasn't mine. I didn't get in trouble for that one. But anyway, my point with that is this. It's simply this, friends, that each and every one of us convinces ourselves that we know what we're doing. And here's a good point for reflection to really think about this. How are you making choices? Are you making them with the wisdom of God? Or are you just going based on feeling and your own understanding? your own experience. Friends, I'm here to tell you that God gives us his wisdom for a reason. He wants to help us avoid the traps of life before we even find ourselves before them. Amen? And so today I want to give you just a couple of things to think about. And the first thing I want us to consider to really think about, but also to take something from it, to apply something from it, is this. It's that teachability Determines our reach ability. Say that with me. Teachability our reachability determines our reach ability. Now, what are you talking about, pastors? And let me tell you what I'm talking about. It's been said that if you're teachable, you're reachable. In other words, if you have a teachable attitude, a teachable heart, a teachable mindset, you can, so people can actually reach you. Right? You can learn something. But this goes further than just being reached. See. The person who's teachable before God and his wisdom is a person that can be reached by God's wisdom. Like you can actually hear God, you can glean wisdom, but you can also reach him. You can also access the power in his word. You can also walk in the assurance of his promises according to his wisdom. Let me tell you why else this is important. Because if we're not teachable it impacts our reachability in such a way that we will not reach maturity. We will not reach different levels of development. We will not reach new heights of entrusted responsibility. Friends, if you're teachable, you are reachable. You can go to new heights in life. Yeah, really, you can. not See, Saul lost it all. Because he was not teachable. He made decisions based on impulse and emotions and personal agendas and wants. He valued people's opinions and views and he disregarded God. Now get how foolish this guy was. So he's made this mistake. God tells him, I'm stripping you of the kingdom. There's another guy I'm going to be bringing up who's a man after my own heart. And you would think that this guy would go, man, i got to change some things. Well, Sometime later on, he finds himself in the same predicament again. God gives him instruction and tells him, I want you to go and destroy a nation called the Amalekites. These are very evil people. They disregard me. They do not worship me. They come against my people, destroy them, kill their king, kill all their animals, destroy all their cities, and take nothing from the battle. Don't take one coin, one sandal strap, one, one, one piece of linen, nothing. Leave it all. Destroy it all. So Saul rallies up the people of Israel. They show up and they go to this battle. And they, they destroy the Amalekites, except Saul says, bring back the king. And the people see the sheep that they're nice and good. And you got to think about this. In those days, sheep were a big deal. It was like a Cadillac, right? So it's like, oh, I'm taking this sheep. I'm taking that sheep, right? So they, they gather all these sheep. And they're thinking they did the right thing. And they actually did the wrong thing. But how is it that he ended up again in this cycle where he was unteachable in error and foolishness? 1 Samuel 15, 24 starts off by saying that Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. So now he's crying the boo-hoos. Right? Now he's going, oh, I'm caught. You caught my hand in the cookie jar. I messed up. I have sinned. For I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. But watch why. Because I feared the people. And I obeyed their voice. Think about this. How many times have we made a decision based on what somebody else told us? Can I submit to you? There's no wisdom in that. If you run to people before you turn to God and look to his word, friends, I say this with love, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. Because we value what people have to say above God. And if you're going to turn to someone, at least make sure that they're going to point you back to the word and not their personal opinion. That makes sense? Isn't that good? Right? And so... He feared the people and he obeyed their voice. Now, watch this. He says, Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. This guy was interested in putting on a show for people to see. And Proverbs 1 7 gives us great instruction on how to avoid getting to this place. It says, The fear of the Lord. The what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word fear there speaks of a deep reverence unto the Lord. In other words, I prefer God over my own feelings. I will follow what God states is true above what I feel is right. I will trust in where he's leading regardless of what I may desire strongly, whatever plans I conjure up on my own. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning, watch this, of knowledge. You want to know which way to go? It starts with reverencing God above your own ideas. But watch this. He says, fools despise what? Wisdom and instruction. In other words, fools go, let me set this aside because, man, it looks good. It smells good. It tastes good. Everybody says it's good. It must be good. He must be the man that God has for me. She must be the woman that God has for me. This must be the direction that God has for me. But you never consulted wisdom from God. The second point that I want to encourage us to think about is that you and I, should not allow our opinions, don't allow your opinions to detract you from the path to understanding. Let me remind you what the scripture says. It says that wisdom gives us knowledge and it leads us to the place of understanding. So understanding is the end result. It's the end result of wisdom when we take it in, when we truly follow it. It's where we end up. And so what we see here is that Saul lost the kingdom. Saul forsook his calling. Why? Because he trusted his opinion in himself above God's wisdom. This guy was more concerned about what people thought about him. He preferred what people thought about him. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding watch this, but only in expressing his opinion. Now I get it. I'm entitled to my opinion. You have a right to your opinion, but that doesn't make your opinion right. See, we're all entitled to our opinion, and this guy had a high opinion of himself before everyone. He was interested in how he was viewed before everyone, but if you study his life, he actually had a very low opinion of himself. When we seek our own appearance above what's right before God? Friends, it's actually weakness. It's actually a foolishness. And so, an opinion has an opinion, a fool has an opinion for everything. You know how you know when you're amongst fools or when you're being foolish? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You ever been around those people that they have an opinion about everything? They know something about everything. They have experience with everything. My man, you are 22 years old. How is it that you know everything in life? Right? You've been in in this world for 50 years. I mean, the the, the earth goes back how many hundreds of millions of years? Right? But a fool has an opinion about everything. A fool wants to be heard above everyone. And here's the problem with an opinion. The definition of an opinion is a view, a judgment, or an appraisal formed in the mind about a particular matter. It's a belief that is stronger than impression, and it's less strong than positive knowledge. In other words, opinions are not based on truth. Opinions are subjective. Opinions are based upon what I think about this, how I see this. They're subjective to our understanding. They're subjective to our experience. They're subjective to our ideas. And the problem with that is that it will always lead us wrong. Friends, we can't lead our lives based on the opinions that we have of ourselves. We must follow the wisdom of God. I'm going to tell three people, I need wisdom. <laughs> we need wisdom, man. Like, seriously. And hey, this is an encouragement, although it might not sound like it. if you struggle to even admit that, Therein is your problem, friend. Therein is your problem. You don't think you need what God gives us. Right? So Proverbs 4, 5, and 7 gives us an answer, though It tells us get wisdom. Get understanding. And watch this. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. He's talking about wisdom. And she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. See, wisdom is the principal thing. The word principal there speaks of the chief thing. It speaks of the beginning. It speaks of the very first fruit of harvest time. In other words, it is the most important thing. In other words, without wisdom, you can't even begin to get wise results. Can't. Can't, friends. We can't. So if we want to start right, we have to start with wisdom. Why? Because wisdom protects us from mistakes that we can make later on. We need the wisdom of God. The next thing I want us to see is that your network determines your net worth. Let me say that again. Your network determines your net worth. Listen, Saul had Samuel. In other words, he had wise counsel. In those days, the prophet was someone who had a direct line to God. Now, we're in better times than those because the scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives among us, right? So we can access God. We can gain discernment to his word. We can hear God as he leads us and guides us. We can discern things. But back then, they depended on counsel of one man, the prophet. And what I want you to see is that Saul had counsel, He had an access, an open door to wise counsel. But instead of waiting for Samuel, instead of seeking Samuel for wisdom, what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. Let me ask you a question. Who comprises your circle in life? Who's in your circle? See, when we have no wise counsel, we're in danger. Let me tell you why. Because your circle, as my friend Todd says, determines your cycle. The circle you keep will determine your cycle in life, where you're going. They used to say when I was young, show me who you hang with, I'll tell you who you are. Show me your company, the circle you keep, I'll show you where you're going in life. And so... When we lack a circle of wise counsel or fail to seek one out, we're in danger. And here's one of the things that we like to think, especially in Christian circles. We believe that wisdom is going to fall on our laps. Like there's this sense of entitlement amongst some people, whether you're in the church or not, that if wisdom, if I'm going to access wisdom, then people are going to come to me and bring wisdom to my life. No, friends, the scripture teaches us differently. I remember when I was, uh, I was pastoring, probably about four and a half years ago now when this happened, uh, church was thriving, things were going good, everything was growing. You know, we were in a healthy place, or so it seemed. But there was something that was nagging at me. Something was off for me. And i am gonna be very transparent. I began to go before the Lord. It was to the point that my wife would say, what, what's going on with you? What's happening with you? Something's not right. And I was just talking to the Lord, and I had frustration, and some things were going on. I didn't really know what was going on. And then one day I wake up, and I woke up with this scripture in my conscious. I started to think about it. And the scripture simply goes, He who desires friends must first show himself friendly. And as I thought about that, it bothered me. And I realized what the Lord was saying to me. He was saying to me, Son... You're doing this, but you're doing this alone. You have no circle of wisdom. You have no one that can provide you counsel. It was just me and my wife. And look, that was great. And I thank God for a mighty woman of God and Pastor Annette. But let me tell you something, man. Even that has limits. And so what God was showing me was you need to expand your circle. And here I was saying, God, So I get it, but I'm waiting for these people to come. And he was saying, no, you got to go find them. You got to go seek them. Can I talk to the fellas for a moment? I mean, this applies to ladies too. Fellas, you know it's one of the things that we struggle with? Putting ourselves in what we think is a vulnerable state and saying, I need relationship with you. I see something in you and I want to learn from you. I want to be in relationship. I want to I I see where friendship could go. I need, I, I need you in my, in my circle to help me grow and, and, and press towards my cycle. And we struggle with that. And the scripture actually tells us how we can develop this network. Because this network impacts our net worth. And you know, some of us, we hide behind this. Oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and God. No, me and God, you know, I talk to the Lord every day. I read my Bible. Yeah, I listen to messages. I worship every day on the way to work, right? I'm, t- I'm constantly praying to God. And what I want you to see according to the scripture is this, that if you have no counsel, you can't access wisdom. It's limited. It's limited. And so watch what the scripture tells us about accessing a network that determines our net worth. Proverbs 13:20 says, whoever walks with what? The wise. Say that with me. He walks with the what? The wise becomes what? Wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Let me put that to you in layman's terms. If you don't have a circle of, of, of wise counsel, you're headed for harm. You're bound to make mistakes. And thank God for his grace. But you know what's the flip side to grace? God loves you. God forgives you. God cares for you. And God will give you a way of escape. He'll help you get out of it. But you're going to have to walk through consequences that you were never intended to reap. We need wise counsel, friends. And so I was struggling And I put myself in a position where I went to certain men, certain people in ministry, and I was straight up. I said, look, I'm going to be very transparent with you. I have a ministry that God has entrusted to me and many people, and it's going great. Everything's healthy, but I'm hurting inside. I'm alone. I have no one to draw from experience. I have no one to talk to that's already walked in my shoes. And I was very honest. I said, look, man, if this is not your deal and you're not comfortable with this, I'm cool with that. I respect that. But I'm seeking not just simply hanging out. I'm seeking friendship. I'm seeking relationship. Do you know what God did for me, man? He opened doors, man. It just humbles me, man, just to think about it. He brought men and women and people into our lives that care for us that minister to us, that help us, that walk with us along the journey. Come on and give God some praise for counsel, man. We need counsel. We need a wise counsel among us. And let me help you with this. Stop waiting for it to come. Put yourself in what some people think a place of vulnerability. It's actually a place of strength because when you can be real, you can really draw from wise relationships. The last point I want to leave you with here as we close is that wisdom helps us gain control when we're about to lose control. Wisdom helps us gain control when we are about to lose control. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Saul was a man who was apt to give free reign to his emotions. He was erratic. This guy would make decisions in the moment. One of the dumbest decisions he made was he tried to kill the one that God anointed as king. (laughs) Like he literally went against God. But this guy would make decisions based on emotions, based on feelings, based on the opinions of people, based upon how he thought he appeared in the eyes of others. This guy came full vent to his emotions he had no control and one of the most foolish things that we're prone to do if we're not careful when we make mistakes well here's one of the main reasons because we give up control of our emotions and we follow our feelings instead of what is right and what our faith tells us we should do we choose foolishly in the moment Proverbs 25 verse 28 tells us a man without self-control, watch this, is like a broken, a city broken into and left without walls. Listen to what the scripture is telling us. Wisdom is our protection. And when we do not respond wisely with our emotions... When we go based upon what you did and you should have did this and that's not right and I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to respond that way and if you did that, then guess what? I'm going to trump that and I'm going to do this. When we do that, the scripture tells us that we are open to harm because we tore down the wall of wisdom. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives vent to his spirit. The Hebrew here denotes, here's what, it, here's, what it, here's what it pictures. A person throwing up their insides all out. It's like violent vomit, like you can't even control it. Right? It says that a fool gives vent to his spirit, to his insides. But a wise man, watch this, quietly holds it back. Wisdom, when we lean into it, when we follow what the scriptures teach us, wisdom gives us the ability to restrain emotions that will lead to drastic results. Wisdom. See, the reason why God provides us wisdom in the area of our emotions is so that we can use his wisdom to protect ourselves. Friend, you don't have to find yourself in a position ever again where you said something that you regret. You don't ever have to find yourself in a place where you've torn people down to such an extent that it seems like there's no way back from it. Where you live with regret and lament. Friend, you can reverse engineer this. You can use the wisdom of God to define an end with God so that you can look back and all you can reap is joy. This is a tool to see the healing of God take place in our relationships. I get it, man. You've burned some bridges. I have too. I still deal with some of those repercussions, to be honest with you. 20, 30-plus years later, I still have certain family that view me a certain type of way based on decisions that I made when I was a teenager. But friend, what I'm telling you is this. This can help set you free from that guilt, from that condemnation. Because you can't change the past, but with God, you can see a new future. So as we close here, I wanna give you just one little nugget of wisdom out of James chapter 119 that gives us an indication on how to gain control. James 119 says, my dearest brothers and sisters, Take this to heart. That's step one. Everybody say step one. Yeah. Step one is take this to heart. In other words, what I'm about to tell you, you must believe. You must put your trust in it. You must hold it near and dear to your heart and to your mind. You cannot, you cannot reap good results if you don't do this. Step one, take this to heart. Step two, be quick to Listen. Be quick to listen. The word quick there means to be prompt and ready. In other words, you're ready and you're prompt about doing this in every situation. I'd rather listen before I speak. And then it tells us, but be slow to speak. The word slow there means to dull. In other words, it's like a sharp tongue. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Words hurt more. They cut deep. Right? And what the scripture says is dull your tongue is what it's saying. Dull it. So it doesn't have effect. It says be slow to speak and be slow to become angry. The word angry there speaks of wrath, which is uncontrolled emotion uncontrolled anger. There's no parameters to it. I'm going to just say what I need to say. Well, you know, I'm, I, I just speak my mind. I have no hair on my tongue, Pastor. That's why life tastes so bitter. And it tells us that for human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. As we stand here and we come to a close, friends, I want you to consider this. That God gives us tools so that we can avoid foolishness. You and I are responsible to respond to God's word and to apply it to our lives in such a way where we foolproof our lives as we do what the truth instructs us. And if you're going to do that, friends, be teachable. Because if you're teachable, you will be reachable. You'll reach God He'll reach you, and you'll reach new heights in life. If you're going to do that, you can't allow your opinion to override wisdom. Get past your self-esteem of yourself. Get past your own personal view and appearance of yourself. Trust in the wisdom of God. If we're going to do this, we have to increase our net worth by seeking a new network of counsel that is wise. And if we're going to do this, friends, we have to wisely take control of our emotions so we don't give up control and we can enjoy the benefits of God's wisdom. As we do this, God promises, man, it's a life that's long, that satisfies us. It's a life that prospers. It's a life where we have healthy relationships. We need the wisdom of God. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that He spoke to you powerfully, and that He met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.